0: Matthew 27 and verse 32. As you're turning there, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth. That Jesus, when you died on the cross. You didn't pay some of it. You didn't pay most of it. But Jesus, you paid it all. And all to you we owe. Or we know that our salvation, and we thank you that our salvation is not Grace does God's part and we do our part. But Jesus, you did it all you did it all. And we're thankful. We worship you and we praise you. We thank you that it is truly by grace from first to last, through faith, by faith, that we are saved not a result of work so that no one can boast Lord at the same time we recognize that we are not what we one day will be that that last week we have all fallen short of the glory of God all of us have sinned and Lord we need your forgiveness and grace and so Lord we come before you and we confess our sins to you today let me encourage you to take a moment as we're praying together and As the Lord brings things to your heart that you need to confess to the Lord, why don't you take a moment and confess that to the Lord? Get your heart right with the Lord today. we do confess our sins to you. Lord, we know we haven't loved you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we have not loved our neighbor as, oursel- uh, love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we've not done the things that you've told us to do, and sometimes we have done things that you told us not to do. But Lord, we thank you that your word is clear, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, at this time, we do bring our requests to you and we do pray for different situations going on in our lives. Let me encourage you now as we continue in this attitude of prayer to take your requests to God. What is it that is burdening your soul right now? Bring it to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your goodness and graciousness in inviting us to the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. And Lord, we lift up these requests to you. And Lord, we do pray for different situations going on in our lives. Lord, I pray for my nephew, Ian. I pray for his healing, even as he's broken his arm, both arms this week. Lord, I do pray for Scott and his family that you would comfort them with comfort that only can come from you Lord. we pray for marsha polk's family we pray for their comfort and healing as well we pray for scott samuelson and karen we continue to remember them others who are suffering others who need healing need others who need a touch from you lord i pray in each situation that you would work let me encourage you right now to be praying for the people in ukraine and then also be praying for our international missionaries as well Pray for that for a moment. Lord, we think about our God. You are sovereign over the nations. Lord, we do pray for the situation in Ukraine. We pray for strengthening of believers, that you would help them to stand firm for the gospel in these trying times. And Lord, we also pray for peace. We pray for peace in the world. Lord, peace in that nation, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people. Lord, we also lift up our international missionaries to you. Some we're sending back yesterday to the field. Some we're sending back today. To the field, Lord, we pray for their encouragement and their strength and use them mightily for the glory of Jesus, for the salvation of souls. And Lord, we pray for unreached peoples of the world. Those people groups where there are few, if any, Christians, Lord, we pray that you would awaken their hearts to the gospel, that you would awaken people to the gospel, and then that they can become winsome to their friends and to others, that they would share the gospel, and there would be a mighty movement of discipleship within these people groups that you placed on our hearts and minds. Lord, I pray that as we come into this passage today, this gospel text, this text that shows us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to just keep this for ourselves, but help us to see this as truth that needs to be broadcast to the the citizens and to the, the worlds that Jesus saves Lord, you are our hope, you are our only help. We thank you for it. Speak to us now by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 32 and reading through verse 44. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced him to carry Jesus' cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he refused it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. The two criminals were crucified with him one on the right, and the other on the left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads, and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross the same way the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him and said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from that cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he takes pleasure in him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. Let's pray together. Lord, as we consider this passage, Lord, it just breaks our souls and our hearts once again. But also gives us great courage and great hope to know that Christ would endure such suffering on our behalf. As we consider Christ crucified, And Jesus mocked. Lord, I pray within this passage, you would help us to see our life, eternal life, everlasting life, through faith in the crucified Savior. Lord, help us to see Jesus afresh and anew today, and help this fresh glimpse and vision of Jesus give us even more grace and empowerment to live for Jesus this week and to shine our light brightly for Jesus in this world that desperately needs to know the message of the cross. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. A critical component often found in literature is irony. And here in this passage, here in this text, we find one of the most ironic passages in the entire Bible. In fact, Matthew is employing this concept or this this method of irony throughout this passage. What is what is irony? Irony is if you if you just read it or watch the scene on its surface, you get you get one meaning. But if you, but if you look deeper, you can see that the event or the text or the scene has a much deeper meaning, a much deeper life that is, that is within that text. And you see that Matthew is doing that very thing. If you, were to, if you were to happen upon this scene on that particular day, if you were to walk by on that particular day, you would get one message from that scene. Rome is in charge. But really, if you look deeper and stay at the cross a little bit longer and think about what this all means, you will see a much deeper meaning, a much deeper message, a much deeper life that is there. Indeed, not Rome is in charge, but the deeper meaning of this is God is in charge. And God loves you enough that our Christ, our Savior, would stretch out his arms and die on the cross for you. Here in this passage, we see ironic where there's a deeper meaning going on here as Christ gasps in agony between two thieves. The meaning of the king on the cross can't be found on the surface. You have to look deeper. You have to look beyond. You have to look to the very heart of God to see what God is doing on behalf of us, of us sinners. Here in this passage, what might look like a defeat for justice and righteousness is actually a victory for us all. Not just a victory in time, but a victory for eternity. A victory that you can share in as well if you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. What I want for us to see today in this passage is four ironies connected to the King on a cross. Four ironies connected to the King on a cross. A cross and how, as we see the King on the cross, we know He has done this for us. First, irony is this Jesus surrendered His life to disarm the worldly and spiritual authorities, Jesus surrendered His life to disarm the worldly and spiritual authorities. If there ever was a gaudy display of worldly power and rebellion against God, this is it. Every aspect of what's going on in this passage, every aspect in fact, what is going on in Matthew chapter 27 is meant to display one thing, one thing to the world. Do not mess with Rome. Rome is the ultimate authority. And if you mess with Rome, you're going to pay. Rome is in charge. After releasing Barabbas and imposing the death sentence upon Jesus, the soldiers flogged Jesus. They beat Jesus. Many people died even from the flogging as Jesus' flesh hung in ribbons on his back. The Roman soldiers handed Jesus over to be crucified. And they began by parading Jesus down the streets of Jerusalem, parading Jesus down the what you may have heard of called the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering, the way of pain. And as they paraded Jesus down through the streets of Jerusalem, they would hold a sign in front of Jesus with the charge against him. Either they would, they would hold the sign in front of Jesus, kind of like a, as, as a banner in front of Jesus as they marched him down the streets, or perhaps even during that day there is some evidence that they would have written the sign, King of the Jews. They would have written that and have hung it around Jesus' neck to tell everybody, don't mess with Rome. What was the charge against Jesus? The charge against Jesus they put around his neck or held out in front of him was king of the Jews. The charge against Jesus was insurrection. How dare you come against Roman authority? And yet the real ironic thing here in this passage, insurrection, what? That's not Jesus' crime. Jesus is guilty of no crime. Jesus is guilty of no sin. He is the sinless Son of God. Insurrection. Who's the insurrectionist here? If we look into this passage and into the sign that is out in front of Jesus being being paraded in front of Jesus, you will not see that Jesus is the insurrectionist. You'll see that you are. All of us are insurrectionists that's the key problem of our society of our world of our human race that's what sin is what is insurrection insurrection is rebellion against the rightful rule in our in our world and in our lives and scripture defines sin as rebellion against the right authority the ultimate authority in our lives god is our creator he is the sovereign he is the one who has no beginning and has no end one preacher said God is is he always has been is and he always will be is that's God he is our creator he has the right to decide what is right and what is wrong and yet the Bible is clear every single one of us have rebelled in our hearts and our souls and our wills against God and his rightful rule in our lives when we say we are sinners we are insurrectionists and Jesus is dying in our place. He is being condemned for crimes we committed. High treason against the God of the universe. They forced Jesus to carry the horizontal beam of His cross up to Calvary probably somewhere between 50 and 75 pounds, somewhere in that range for this horizontal beam of the cross. The beam was heavy. The beam was full of splinters, rough hewn wood. And this one who had spent all night up in prayer, this one who was sweating great drops of blood, this one who went through the internal emotional anguish of being abandoned by his friends, being rejected by his disciples, This one who has been sold out by one of his closest friends in Judas, the one who has been through six trials, three Jewish trials, three Roman trials, all night long, been beaten to a pulp, is now carrying this cross. He stumbles under the weight of his cross. And in further demonstration of worldly power, the power of Rome, as Jesus falls underneath the weight of the cross, and I think even more than that, underneath the weight of the sin of the world, Rome demonstrates its power once again and said, You there, you carry his cross. Pointing to Simon the Cyrene from North Africa. And Simon could not say no. You were not allowed to say no to Rome Roman could conscript anyone at moment's notice. And so this one who was a bystander, this one who had just happened to be on the scene at that moment, this one who is there in Rome is one who literally carried the cross of Jesus, who literally bore this burden for Christ. And we don't know much about Simon of Cyrene. What we do know from the other Gospels is he had two children with him that were there that day, two sons with him. They were named Rufus and Alexander. Interestingly enough, later on in the book of Acts and also in the book of Romans, you see the names of Rufus and Alexander. We don't know if they're the same people, but many scholars think they are actually the sons of Simon the Cyrene. They believe that Simon actually got saved, that Simon actually trusted in Jesus. Jesus. So one who actually took up the cross and followed Jesus in this scene. The Romans chose the place of crucifixion for Jesus. It's called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Calvary means the same thing in the in Latin language. That's what Calvary means. It means skull. It means the place of the skull. That is Calvary. It is an unholy place that they chose outside of the city. And there when they arrive at Golgotha, Jesus is given this mixed drink of wine and gall. Why is he given that? Well, there's two reasons for that. I think both of them are coming together here in this particular moment. One of the reasons is because the Jewish women of that day, when somebody of the Jewish nation, the Jewish faith was being crucified, they would oftentimes, in fulfillment of Proverbs 31, they would bring this concoction that they made up, this wine, this mixed wine, and they mixed it with myrrh, and they would do that in order to deaden the pain of the victim that was going to be crucified. As Jesus tasted of what it was, he spit it out immediately. He would not dull his senses one ounce as he paid the price for our sin hanging on that cross. The Romans took that wine that was mixed with myrrh the other gospels tell us and they mixed it with something else matthew tells us that it's mixed with gall in that moment what is gall gall is like your gallbladder. gall, gall is a is a bitter substance you would you would taste it and you would spit it out what the romans were doing in that moment was mocking jesus by giving him this drink they were saying ha jesus you want to have something to drink yeah here you go here's you something to drink try this and they were mocking jesus Even at that moment at the place of the skull when they were about to drill nails into his wrists, into his feet. The Bible says in language where they don't even mention nails in verse 38, they actually, earlier than that, in verse 35, they crucified him. They crucified him. Never is the word nails mentioned. They didn't have to mention it. We get our word excruciating from the cross. They nailed nails through Jesus' wrists. They nailed nails through His feet. And they propped Him up as a display of Roman power. Don't mess with us. And Jesus hung there on that cross, gasping in his own blood for hours as the wrath of God was poured out on our Savior. They crucified him. And yet Jesus is dying in the place of cosmic insurrectionists known as humanity who at this moment are consorting with the devil and having this celebration we finally won we finally killed god at least that's what we would say in our own sinfulness listen Pilate condemns jesus rome is in charge Soldiers mock Jesus. Rome is in charge. Soldiers flog Jesus. Rome is in charge. They conscript Simon to carry the cross. Rome is in charge. They crucify Jesus. Rome is in charge. They gamble for Jesus' clothes. Rome is in charge. Rome is in charge. Rome is in charge. But irony of ironies, remember what irony is? What is on the surface is not the reality. Irony of ironies. It's not Rome in charge at all, God's in charge. God's in charge this entire time. Jesus is freely and willingly laying his life down for our sins. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. You think Romans in charge? Not at all. What's happening in this moment and having disarmed the principalities, the powers and the authorities, God made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross is not the victory of the devil and the principalities and the powers. It is their final decisive defeat. Jesus has gained the victory by making a public spectacle of this sin-sick world by showing the effects of sin and how evil it must be to lead even to the crucifixion of the Son of Glory. But even in that moment, Jesus spreads out His arms and says, love will gain the victory over this sin-sick world in the end. That is the good news of our Savior. He is sovereign over all. How do we apply this? Listen, there are some times in our lives when it seems just like at this moment that the world is winning. The world is winning. The world is winning. Christianity is dying. So they say in the news, Christianity, what's going to happen in the future? When you see these kinds of things happening, look back at the cross. And in the darkest moments of life, and the darkest moments of history, it is at that very moment when God demonstrated his power most clearly. Trust in Jesus, trust in God. Remember the end of the story. God wins. God gains the victory. And Jesus is coming again. Remember that through the cross of Christ, he has defeated the principalities and the powers. Number two, Jesus, with second irony of the cross, Jesus saved sinners by not saving himself. Jesus saved sinners by not saving himself. In verses 38 through 44, verse 38 through 44, the only people speaking at the cross at this moment are those who are mocking Jesus. And there's three groups of people that are mocking Jesus. There's the passersby, there's the Sanhedrin, and there's the criminals that are crucified on his right and on his left. Each of these groups show us a different aspect of the irony of the cross. The first group are just passers-by, people that just happen to be walking by the cross that day outside of Jerusalem. They demonstrate that Jesus saves us by not saving Himself. The first group is the casual observers just passing by the cross, and they mock Jesus as they're walking by the cross. Beginning in verse 38, they basically say this, hey, temple destroyer and temple builder, how do you feel now? You're going to do that in three days? If you're the Son of God, come down from that cross. Listen close to those words that they just said. If you are the Son of God, those words should have a familiar serpentine accent behind them. Because we've heard them before. Who else has said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, who else talks like that? Luke chapter 4, verse 3, the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God. Here in the voices of the passersby, by, we can also hear echoes of the voice of the tempter, the voice of the devil saying at that moment, mocking Jesus, son of God, ha, look at you now, look at You now. But those very words drip with irony because Jesus, in volunteering to go to the cross, was doing exactly the same thing that they were mocking him for. They said, You think you're going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days? And that's exactly what Jesus was doing in that moment. Jesus, as he hung on the cross, his body was dying. That temple was dying. But three days later, he was going to rebuild that temple because Jesus was going to come out of the grave. Jesus was not going to just die and go in the grave and we'd say, oh, what a great example for us all. Oh, no, that is not the meaning of the cross. The meaning of the cross is Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. He defeated sin. He defeated the grave. He defeated all of this. His temple has been raised up. Jesus indeed is the new temple by where we worship our God. Why don't you save yourself, Jesus? But in that very moment, by not saving himself, Jesus saves all who will come to faith in him. Jesus saves everyone by sacrificing himself, everyone who will come to faith in him. 1 Peter 2, verses 22 through 25 says it like this. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Hebrews 13, 12 says it like this, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. By not saving himself, Jesus in that moment was saving Thousands, if not millions, if not someone in this room right now, or even watching online, who might trust in Jesus Christ and his perfect work for you as Jesus paid it all. Trust in the saving Jesus. Irony number three Jesus dies under the curse of the law to take away the condemnation of the law. Jesus dies under the curse of the law to take away the condemnation of the law the members of the sanhedrin are the next to mock jesus they're getting on they're just lined up to mock jesus the soldiers you have the pastors by you have the sanhedrin you have the two thieves on his right and on his left they're all mocking jesus in this moment the members of the sanhedrin come to jesus and they mock him and they say he saved others he can't save himself what what kind of savior is that He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now,, if, if He takes pleasure in him. Now why are they saying that? Why you got to say that? Why are you talking like that? The reason why they're talking like that is because these teachers of the law know their Old Testament really, really well. They know their Old Testament really, really well. And the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23 tells us that if a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree his body shall not remain there on the tree but you shall bury him on the same day here's the key phrase for a hanged man is cursed by god you shall not defile your land that the lord your god is giving you for an inheritance They said there, Jesus is hanging on a tree. Everybody who hangs on a tree is cursed by God. Therefore, Jesus is cursed by God. He cannot be the Messiah. According to them, he was saying, He cannot be the Messiah because Jesus hanging on a tree is a curse. They said, Jesus, you're a fraud. We're still in charge. But here's the irony they were right. In that moment when Jesus is hanging on the cross, He is cursed by God. But not for sins He had committed. Jesus is bearing a curse, but not one for Him. Jesus is bearing your curse. And He's bearing my curse. Think about this. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you may have walked through you ever walked through life in the last couple of years, I'm cursed. <laughs> you ever thought that? Oh my. I know some of you have. And maybe you're not know, have said it like that or said it out loud. I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? <laughs> but you know what? In Jesus, we are delivered from the curse of the law. In fact, Listen to this in Galatians chapter 3. It makes this very point. Galatians 3 verse 10. It says this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written. Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Everything. Everything. law perfectly. The Bible says we are under a curse. We have violated the holy God of heaven. We're insurrectionists, deserving of punishment. Well let's give you an example. What is in the law? What are the law what is what is kinds of things that the law says? Well the law says, summary, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. Anybody done that this week? <laughs> I've messed up. <laughs> I've sinned. Law number two, summary law number two love your neighbor as yourself. Anybody done that perfectly this last week? Anybody done that perfectly this morning, right? I mean, huh. everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Without Christ, that would be our story. Without Christ, you would be right to say, I am cursed. But that's not the end. And here's where the irony comes in. Here's where Jesus is turning everything in this passage completely upside down and sets us free from this curse, sets us free from the burden where we can say, I am cursed. No more. Read on in Galatians Galatians 3 verses later, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And that moment is Jesus hung on the cross, bearing the weight of our sin, bearing the wrath. Of God for our sin, Jesus becomes a curse for us so that we could be set free from the curse of the law. And we get right with God not by obeying the infinite details of the law, but we get right with God by trusting in Jesus Christ, who pays for all of our sins, who bears the wrath of God for us, who removes the curse from us by becoming a curse for us. And in Him, we are free. That is the good news of the gospel. In the the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are cursed no more. Oh my goodness, that is good news. That is infinitely good news. So much good news that Paul in the book of Romans would say it like this. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. And what the law could not do, and that was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that on the account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit that's what Jesus has done for us He has set us free from the curse of the law and He he looks at you and He says in His verdict, the end times verdict when you stand before God has already been rendered upon you by faith in Jesus Christ, when He looks at you, He says, not guilty, not cursed, not condemned, freely loved, come in to my family forever and ever and ever. And all of that is by faith in the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ. That is insanely good news. That is the irony of all that's going on here in the cross. Finally, number four, fourth irony is this. Jesus is nailed to the cross. And so was the record of debt against us for breaking the law not only am i not cursed not only am i saved not only has he overcome the principalities and the powers and the devil but he cancels our debts all of it jesus is mocked by two thieves one on his right one on his left luke tells us that one of them gets saved in that moment one of them trusts in jesus jesus when you come in your kingdom please remember me and jesus says to him this day you will be with me in paradise These criminals are insurrectionists. They're nailed to the cross for their own crimes. But when Jesus is nailed to the cross, he has done no wrong. He is there paying for our debts. Colossians 2.14 says it like this. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he's taken it away, and he nailed it to the cross. Have you ever watched or listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio? Some of you may have. Have you ever listened to that? One of my favorite segments to listen to of uh, Dave Ramsey is when people who have fallen is following his program finish, what is it, step three, I think. Or is it step two? I don't remember. Step one of the two steps. <laughs> one of the first steps, one of the seven steps. They finish the step where they get debt free. And they call up to the radio program. Now, I was like in $82,751.23 in student loan debt. (laughs) And it's gone. (laughs) Sally Mae is gone. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise the Lord. We kicked her out a few years ago. Get out of here. (laughs) It's gone. And you know what they say after that? They say, they like, all right, it's time for your debt. Scream, let's count it down on three, or on three, three, two, one. And they shout out, we're debt free. And then you hear brave hearts say, freedom, right? mean <laughs> you say, yes. It's one thing to be free from financial debt. It's a whole different deal to be free from eternal debt. When you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, listen, it's better than the brave heart. You're debt free. And no one can ever add to your account again or your indebtedness because Jesus' payment is infinite. Not only is the slate wipe clean, but Jesus' righteousness is added to your account. Perfect, infinite, holy righteousness put into your account. That is good news. Jesus paid it all. Application, when you come to the cross, trust in Jesus and his work. Know the freedom of being debt free. All the weight that is taken off our souls when we know we're debt free. We have no curse. We're saved from this place. We can never save ourselves because the Savior refused to play to 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 rescue Himself from a place where He could save Himself, and we've been rescued from the principalities and powers. God's in charge. That's good news. How do we finish today? I don't know any better way to finish than just just look at J. C. let J.C. Ryle speak to us for a moment. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors, he said the following. We'll finish with this. He says this: Was he scourged? It was that through his. It was through that that our, by his stripes we are healed. Was he condemned though innocent? It was that we might be acquitted though guilty. Did he wear a crown of thorns? It was that we might wear the crown of glory. Was he stripped of his raiment? It was that we might be clothed in everlasting righteousness. Was he mocked and reviled? It was that we might be honored and blessed. Was he reckoned a malefactor and numbered among transgressors? It was that we might be reckoned innocent and justified from all sin. Was he declared unable to save himself? It was was so that he might be able to save others to the uttermost. Did he die at last and that the most painful and disgraceful of deaths? It was that we might live forevermore and be exalted to the highest glory. Let us ponder these things well. They are worth remembering. The very key to peace is a right apprehension of the vicarious in our place sufferings of Christ. That is is the good news and the irony of the death of the king on a cross let's pray together and then i want to give us a moment to think about these things i'm going to give you a chance to respond today if you've never trusted in jesus christ as savior and lord or if you just need prayer or if you just need to get your life right with jesus maybe you've been wandering from him jesus with open arms welcomes you home Trust in Jesus Christ today. All of your debt can be forgiven. The curse taken away. You can be right with God. Trust in Jesus. Get right with Jesus. Do business with God today. Let's pray and then we'll take a moment to think about these things and then we'll respond. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that through the cross of Christ that all of our world, everything turned upside down. That in this moment where the world would see defeat, where the world would see, say we won, Lord, we see that indeed in that moment, Jesus wins. Jesus pays it all, all to you we owe. And so Lord, I pray that you'd help us to respond to you, either with gratitude as Christians, just to once again be reminded of all that you've done for us and just worship you and say, praise God for his goodness. Or maybe for those who haven't trusted in you yet, they're not yet Christians, Lord, I pray that today they would trust in Jesus, place their faith in Jesus and be saved. Lord, I pray for those who may be wandering afar from Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would see in Jesus these open arms, welcoming them home, welcome them to Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be burdened with the lost, to bring this message of the gospel of Christ dying in our place, rising in from the grave. Give us a burden to bring that to the world, to the people around us. Let's take a moment to think about what the Lord has said to you today, and what might your response be to Christ today?